So we're thinking about worshipping with our souls. We've heard about what it means to worship with our minds and with our hearts. And now we're thinking about worshipping with all of our souls. Today we're going to use Psalm 42 that we heard a little bit of earlier. If you don't have a Bible, I really want to encourage you to get one for this. So there are a bunch of G2 Bibles at the back. You're welcome. Or follow on on your phone because we're going to be stuck in Psalm 42 Uh, for this talk to help us understand this message. Thanks, guys. Incidentally, if you've come here and you don't have a Bible, these G2 Bibles are totally for you. So please take one away. If you've not got a Bible, that's our gift to you to help you explore your journey and to grow in your faith. So don't put it back at at the table there. If you don't have a Bible, please take one away with you. So if you've picked up one of those Bibles, we're on page 391. 391. Let's look together at verse 1 and 2. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Over the summer, me and my family went and had a holiday in the New Forest. Now, I grew up in Southampton, which is really close to New Forest. So I was really chuffed that we were going there so that I could take the kids, I could take Susie and I could show them all my favorite places. And one day I decided, right, we're going to go to the deer sanctuary and we're going to see some of the fabulous wildlife nearby. I had to build this up a little bit. The holiday home had a swimming pool in a garden. The kids never wanted to leave the swimming pool, so it took a lot of convincing. But I went for it. I really went, come on, this is going to be brilliant. I bundled them in the car, forced them in the car and off we went to the deer sanctuary. When we arrived, I looked and went to the visitor center and I was chuffed that there on the walls were giant antlers, huge deer skins, maps, activities, trails for the kids. They were starting to think that this was going to be a good day and I was feeling chuffed about it. I didn't want to fail. So we went off out of the visitor center to the first deer enclosure. Josiah and Bella running ahead, Ruby and Jemima with me and Susie and I lifted the little ones. You know how those places always have a lookout? And I lifted them onto the lookout and we scanned the scene and we saw nothing. Absolutely nothing. Not even the potential movement of a deer in the surrounding trees. Zilch. I wasn't feeling very popular. The kids were totally disappointed. And I was like, oh, I've really built this up. I can't even remember if I'd ever seen a deer there before. It just seemed like a good idea. But I kind of am a determined character. So I said, God, come on, help us to find a deer. I can't have a dad fail. And off we went. I said, come on, we're going to go on an adventure. We're going to go off the trail. We're going to explore the forest in and out of the trees, in the bushes, like Steve Backshaw, the insurer, explorer. And we are going to find ourselves a deer. So off we went. The kids were loving it, in and amongst the trees. But after a lot of disappointment and actually almost getting lost, kind of forgot what we were there for. I think we got a picture. Yeah, here we are, back on the path, just wandering along, forgetting that we're even there for finding a deer. When all of a sudden, Bella spots one. There's a deer, Mum! There's a deer, she says quietly. We weren't sure. We're a long way around the trail at this point. So we stand on the edge of the path and we're all like squinting into the forest. Is it a deer? Might it be a deer? She's totally convinced. So we turn 
as all good families should, to the long-angled camera lens to have a look and see, is there actually a deer? And we zoom in, and sure enough, there was a beautiful, can you see it? A stunning fallow deer. We're a lot further away. This is properly zoomed in. Max, little lens is like this long. And we're zoomed in, and it's a deer. A stunning fallow deer, kind of camouflaged by the summer foliage, moving in and amongst the trees. Can you imagine our excitement? When our eyes adjust and we'd found a deer. Ruby starts going, there's a deer, Dad! There's a deer! Yes, we found a deer! Not, not ideal. <laughs> Deer's like quiet. Deer's like peace. Bella's chuffed that she's the one that found it. Josiah's just delighted that it's over, I think, and that we've found our prize. <laughs> Jemima, she's oblivious, to be honest with you. She is only one. But we'd found our prize. We'd found our deer. I only to say, when we got round to the end of the trail, we passed that enclosure again. And literally, there were hundreds of deers before our eyes, sunning themselves, looking smugly at us like they'd been there the whole time. But secretly, I was happy with our discovery as a family. And do you know what? It stayed with us for the rest of that week. Well, that got me thinking. Do you know there's a reason why deers are hard to find? Deers are constantly on the move. Do you know that a deer won't close its eyes to sleep for more than 30 seconds at a time? Would you survive on 30 seconds? They only close their eyes for 30 seconds at a time. They try to rest during the day near sources of food and water, but at night, they just keep moving. They just keep walking, and they walk directly into the wind so that predators don't pick up their scent. They don't make any homes, no dens, no nests. They don't have a place they can call home. They just keep moving. They are constantly on the lookout, always watchful, and they won't even dream of bending their heads to pick up water unless they know they're completely safe. So when this writer, David, when he begins as the deer, he speaks very, very powerfully about the place that he's in. And I think directly into our lives and our culture as well. So we think it's written by King David. Christians that he's in a time of exile. That basically means he has been kicked out of his homeland by his enemies. And he's on the run. He's on the run. He's on the lookout for enemies everywhere. And what he most desperately desires is to be with God. In a way, I think this is just like our lives. Full of busyness, full of movement, coming and going, always watchful of what is going on around us. Do you ever feel like that? Put it another way. Maybe we're fearful of missing out. So we're constantly watching what's going on around us, keeping up to date with the world, glued to our phones and social media for fear of missing anything. Distracted by this world. And yet this world does not and will not ever be able to satisfy your soul. Let's pause a minute. Because for us to understand the rest of this psalm and this message of worshipping our souls, we need to go on a journey together. We need to understand what do we mean by the word soul. 
So for this, we're going to go right back to the beginning. We need to go to the beginning of the Bible, to the book of Genesis, where we learn about the creation of the world. And in Genesis 2, verse 7, we read, The Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living soul. Right from the outset, we learn that our soul is a mixture of both the earth, the dust of the ground, and the spirit, the breath of God. They're somehow mysteriously tied up together. And they give us our consciousness and our personality. Now, if we go back to the original language that was used in the book of Genesis, it's Hebrew. And the word for soul is nephesh. And it translates this. A living being's vital life force that interacts with its surroundings and needs to be satisfied for life to be sustained. That word, nephesh, is deliberately and beautifully onomatopoeic. Nephesh. It sounds like breath. The breath of God breathed into us to create living souls. If we move forward to the New Testament, so the latter part of the Bible, the language is Greek. And the Greek word for soul is siki which means the inner self and life of a person. So we're talking about something deep and mysterious here. It's not the physical. It's not the bodily part of us. The soul is psychological. It's that deep inner journey that you and I live out in our lives every single day. That deep inner journey that we live out every single day. C.S. Lewis says, you don't have a soul, you are a soul. You have a body. So let me pull those things together for you. Our souls is the life force. It needs to be sustained in order for us to thrive. It's the part of us that thinks, feels, desires, and acts. It's in fact the seat of our emotions and will. The soul can be intimately connected to God as we read in Genesis. But at the same time, the soul can be the place where wicked, evil, unhealthy, unhelpful desires can rise to the surface. And so our souls need saving daily. I'm going to keep coming back to that definition throughout the rest of this talk. We'll keep referring back to help us understand worshipping with our souls. So let's go back to Psalm 42. Verse 1 and 2 again. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. See, David knows that only God can satisfy his soul, just like water to a panting deer. And he begins from a place of longing and desperation, calling to God to satisfy his deepest needs. Let's go back to our definition of soul. Your soul must be sustained in order for your life 
to thrive. The author and spiritual director, Sampo Kassila, says, Your soul is not from the world of form. And that explains why the world of form cannot fully satisfy your soul. You see, your body has daily needs. Sleep, thirst, hunger. And your body will communicate them to you really, really well. Really efficiently. There's a 19th century American preacher, Henry Ward Beecher, who wrote, Your soul is often hungrier than your body, but there are no shops that can sell it food. Your soul must be sustained, must be satisfied in order for your life to thrive. We worship when we recognize that only God satisfies our souls. So I wonder, I wonder what the things are that you are using of this world to try and satisfy your soul. I wonder what, what by default you turn to, to fulfill that deep longing, to fulfill that deep desire, or maybe even that pain deep within, instead of God. We worship when we recognize that only God can satisfy our souls. So I said before that this psalm is written when David has been kicked out of his home. And he basically feels really, really far from God. And it's from that place that he starts to bear his soul. He remembers his past and he starts sharing his current pain and suffering. Look at verses 2 to 4. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God. With shouts of joy and thanksgiving. Among the festive throng. As we move through the psalm, David's language gets even more raw and honest. Look at verses 9 and 10. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? We jump into chapter 43, verse 2. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? We can learn something really, really important from David here. His soul is sad. It's downcast, suffering. He feels abandoned and rejected. And yet, he still worships. God doesn't require an act, a facade. God doesn't want you just to put on pretty words and language or be polite and say the things that you think you ought to say. God longs for you to pour out your soul, to bear your soul, to release your soul before him. Do you ever feel like you can do this? Actually, David goes further. In verse 7, 
He actually even suggests that his current pain and suffering comes from God. Look at it. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. His language implies that he's sinking. His soul is drowning. And he actually suggests that this has come from God. Do you ever feel like that towards God? And yet, within this, David, David's worship is deep. Look at the start of that verse. Deep calls to deep. From the very depths of his soul, he's crying out to the depths of God. Yes, he's angry, he's raw, he's honest. But that is still worship. Henry Ward Beecher, that preacher I mentioned earlier, said, of all the battles of your soul, sorry, of all the battles, there are none like the unrecorded battles of the soul. Let's come back to our definition. Your soul is the place where you think, where you feel, where you act. It's the seat of your emotions and will. So we worship when we release our souls before God. So releasing our souls is essential. Really, really important. But as we do that, there's an important question we have to ask ourselves. As we go on that journey into our inner life, the depths of our being, are we moving towards God or away from God? You see, I've no doubt that you've all experienced times when, when engaging in your souls, you've started to spiral down and down and down. And the result is that you start moving away from God and selfish attitudes and desires start rising to the surface. Let me give you an example. I've had a bad day at work. Things didn't go as I planned. And in the afternoon, somebody said something that just niggled at me. And I couldn't let it go. It was stirring up within me. And I leave work, and on the journey home, that's all I'm thinking about. Then I hit traffic. I'm impatient. I'm really frustrated. It's rising up within me. And I get home, and my children have spent the afternoon making dens out of the sofa. And the sofa is all over the floor. The toys are all over the hallway. And as I walk through the front door, I trip over. I shout at the children. I snap at Susie about the state of the place. I've spiraled. I've moved away from God. As I've dwelled in my emotions. And the result is that selfish attitudes and behaviors have taken over my soul. Have you ever experienced something like that? Can you think of similar things in your life? You see, part of our spiritual maturity is to recognize or be aware of the state of our souls but to bring them in submission to Christ. So that means accepting, coming under the authority of Jesus. 
And this is exactly what David does. Look at verse 5 with me. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. That phrase is repeated three times across Psalm 22 and, sorry, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. And it always comes after a period when he has released himself before God. He ensures that in what could be for him a period of dejection in his soul, that he's moving towards God. He's reaching out to the one who is above his thoughts, above his feelings, above his circumstances, and he's bringing his soul in submission to God. This is really deep worship. The same response can be seen in a bunch of other psalms. Psalm 57, when David talks about being in the midst of lions and ravenous beasts, he says, Awake, my soul! Awake, harp and lyre! I will awaken the dawn! In Psalm 62, after speaking about being assaulted and cursed, troubled within, he says, Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. You see, David knows that the state of his soul is not where he wants it to be. It's in no way satisfied at all. But instead of spiraling out of control, he checks himself. And he uses his mind to call his soul into praise. For us, we need to listen to our souls, but to bring them in submission to Christ. You only need to look to Jesus to see exactly the same response at work. Luke 22, we read that Jesus is in anguish. He's aware of the journey that he's about to go on to the cross. And his sweat is being described as like drops of blood falling to the ground. These are his words. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus acknowledges the state of his soul, which is the seat of his emotions. And he even acknowledges his desire for this to be taken away, this pain but he brings it all in submission to God. You see, I think it can be all too common when we are downcast that we move away from God and we let feelings of abandonment and self-worth start to take hold. But instead, here, David uses his mind to speak to his soul. And to bring it in submission to Christ. We're told to do exactly the same in the book of James. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Let's go back to our definition again. Your soul 
is the seat of your emotions and will. It's the place where earthly, selfish desires can start to rise to the surface. And so our souls need to be continually saved. We worship when we submit our soul to Christ. I'm going to sum up now and then we're going to think about the ways in which we're going to respond. So we worship when we recognize that only God can satisfy our soul. I wonder what the other things are of the world that you've been using to try and satisfy you. We worship when we release our souls before God. God doesn't require an act or polite language. He wants us to be raw and honest with him. And we worship when we submit our soul to Christ. Let's not spiral away, spiral down as we dwell in our emotions. Instead, let's submit our soul to Christ. So to help us respond, there's two things we're going to do. And we're going to use a passage from the book of Hebrews. Let me just pop it up. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, that's all us here, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So I say again, What are the things of this world that you are using to try and satisfy your soul? The things that don't satisfy. The things that hinder and can actually damage your souls. In a moment, I'm going to encourage you to write those things down. We've all got bits of paper and pens. I want you to write them down as a sign of confession. And that just means acknowledging and saying sorry to God. And what we're going to do in a moment, and I'll talk us through it, there are bins at the back, and we're going to go, when we've written these things down, and we are going to literally throw them off. Throw off those things that don't satisfy, those things that hinder, in the knowledge that God always forgives, and he's there to help us. Then the second, just hold one second before you get into that. There's a second part of the response too. The second half of that verse says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. So I wonder if you recognize any movement away from God as you've dwelt in your emotions, if you've dwelt in the place of your soul. I wonder if you've had times where you've spiraled and turned away from God. If so, It's time to submit your soul to Christ, to turn and fix your eyes on Jesus. So to help with this, we're going to bring this cross into the center. And as you go to the back and you throw off those things that hold you back, those things that you've been trying to use to satisfy but don't work, I then want you to physically make a turn and Look at the cross. Come and stand before the cross. Come and kneel before the cross as a sign 
of submitting your soul to Jesus. So here's how we're going to do this. I'm going to lead us through a short time where we still ourselves. And after a bit, the band will begin to play. And that will be the sign for us to start responding in these two ways. To go and throw off and then come and submit, stand before the cross. Thanks, guys. And you can, as soon as the band play, you can do that when you are ready. Please don't worry about others around you. The whole point is that this is your space with God. So we're just going to quiet our minds and our souls. And I will welcome the Holy Spirit, who's the power and the presence of God, to come and speak to us. So right now, where you are, can you just make yourself comfortable? Just make sure you're sitting comfortably. I want to encourage you to close your eyes so that you're not distracted in any way. You may like to hold your hands out, which is literally just a sign of saying that you are open to God. Holy Spirit, power and presence of God, we invite you to come now and to fill this place. We ask that you would come and speak to us deep in our souls. Make us aware of those things that we've been trying to use to satisfy. Help us to meet with you as we submit our souls before you in the knowledge that you are God, that you always love, that you are always good and you long to satisfy our deepest needs. Come Holy Spirit, lead us now we pray.